Cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the 38th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm the polyester-loving pachyderm Meredith. And I'm bivalve-curious Mike. And we meet every week in our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Twinkle sound. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mike, I'm back in the Dalmatian Station classic. Classic, yeah, you sound... Like you're on a microphone and not on a cell phone. I sure do. And it's very nice. It's a beautiful day in New York City. Yeah, it's pretty nice out, I have to say. It rained last night, kind of late. Sure did. And then early in, into the morning, which was nice. And I haven't been outside yet today, but it looks pretty. Uh, yeah, I would highly suggest you get out there. It's like cooler than you would think. But this isn't a weather podcast, Mike. How have your animals been? It's been a pretty exciting couple of weeks in animals. We took last week off. We did the inaugural poetry slam. Yes. But since I last spoke with you, I touched a dog, Meredith. (gasps) You did? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can, Can we hear about it? Of course. I was walking down my street and there was a dog and it was very friendly and I saw it and it saw me and it was wagging its tail and I was walking down the street and it ran up to me and, like, ran into me a little bit. Oh. Because it was so excited to see me. And, you know, I'm still scared to touch anything. So I did not pet it, but I said hello. And the owner apologized <laughs> profusely. And I was like, oh, you have no idea how much I needed. Even just that moment of dog running into my calf region. Yes. Oh, sweet. It knew that you needed that. It sure did. And I was really happy about it. That's adorable. Yeah. Also, Meredith, I was watching this show. I think it was on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And it was talking about, you know, the business of narcotics or whatever. It was actually a pretty good piece of investigative journalism, and I recommend it. Oh, I think I've watched part of that. Yeah. And so they were talking about synthetic drugs, like artificially made compounds and everything. Mm -hmm. And so they were talking about K2, which is like a synthetic fake marijuana. Right. And they showed video of that K2 zombie outbreak that took place in Brooklyn. Do you remember that a couple years ago? Is this the like, I'll I'll eat your face or the guy like tried to eat a face? No, no. That was something different. I think that was bath salts. Oh, okay. Yes, you're correct. No, then I don't know. (laughs) What? The K2 zombie outbreak? The K2 zombie outbreak. So it, yeah, K2 is like fake synthetic marijuana. Right. And so they went to this lab where this guy was doing these experiments on larval zebra fish, (sighs) where he was essentially getting these larval zebra fish high on synthetic narcotics And then observing the behavior to create a sort of constellation of behaviors relating to certain compounds. So when the so-called K2 zombie outbreak took place, the scientists were able to look at these images on the screen and be like, oh, this is definitely this compound because these people are acting the same way that our larval zebrafish acted. They were able to help these people who were under duress, arguably saving lives through this research that you know, this dude's doing just getting a bunch of little larval zebrafish high. And, but, man, so many questions. Right. Why, why larval zebrafish? If, you know, we're trying to map, like, things onto human behavior, seems like a a weird choice. Right. Right. You know? Like, there's a lot of things that might be a little bit more observable in, say, like, I don't know, a monkey species or something. Not that I'm advocating that because it would require testing on monkeys and I'm not cool with that, but sure, not cool with zebrafish either. But I guess if it did help people, I don't know. 
this isn't that kind of podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is not a podcast for debating the ethics of animal testing. Right. How was your fortnight in animals? Oh, well, I had to bid farewell to my beloved Cincinnati cat, Claude. Bye, Claude. Bye, Claude. You're the best. Catch you later, Claude. And then I was up in um, kind of rural Connecticut, Sharon, Connecticut, and there was just a lot of fields. And also in those fields were a lot of cows and sheep. And we would, when we were going on runs there, we started referring to this one path to take through like the farmland as the um, the uh, high hooves, because like on either side of the running path, there would just be these like baby cows like hanging out. And so you'd go through them and it kind of felt like you were at the finish line and they, they were all there to like lined up to give you a high five. It'd be a high hooves. <laughs> high hooves. Did you go see high hooves? <laughs> <laughs> it was really cute. And then, so we were there for like a, a tiny, tiny wedding. And part of the wedding party went over to the high hooves to like look at the cows. Like, and they wanted the cows in their wedding pictures. It was very cute. But anyway, the farmer came out and like gave us a whole lesson on baby cows and everything. Oh, amazing. He was like, I just love telling people about my cows. He was like, we get so many just random passerby here buys here every day and he was like i just love coming out and telling them about my cows i was like god bless you do you like podcasts (laughs) then i got the show for you (laughs) so yeah it was really enjoyable and then also i saw some like representative from team undulate so a lot of deer prancing about oh we rescued like three frogs these cute little green frogs that kept getting into the swimming pool We'll put pictures on the Instagram. Yeah. And then probably my favorite part was by the end, I had a lot of people referring to sucking mouth parts. <laughs> Characteristic of our bug friends. I was like, this is what a true bug is. And most importantly, they possess sucking mouth parts. Yeah. Yeah. I trust that you've had the same experience that I've had where you're constantly in situations where animals come up and you just yes. drop some animal knowledge and people are yes. like, whoa, what? Yes. And you're like, well, but actually, because of the taxonomy. <laughs> it was totally that. Armchair experts over here. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids, there were like two nine-year-olds. And like every time there was like a bug or an animal or something that would come up, like the frogs, I would like freak out and like run over. And one of them was like, you like love animals. And I was like, I sure do. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Someone was like, yeah, she's got a whole podcast about him. So great week in animals is what I can sum that up. I'm so glad to hear. Yeah. Meredith, I want to mention this uh, outside of the feedback, but we got a very nice email from fan of the show Ava Kovacs, and she was sharing some YouTube videos that she made of just squirrels eating apricots, strawberries, close views of green parrots and everything. Those are my favorite. Yeah, and it was really nice. And I just think that her sentiment in the email was right on with our sentiment, where it's just yes. that animals are the most entertaining, kind creatures ever. And it just she just wants to put smiles on people's faces. And that I agree, it is good to adore the animals. So thank you very much, Ava. We really appreciate the email. Yes. The videos totally cheered us up. Loved them. Keep listening. Keep sharing the love of animals. Keep filming cute videos you know that's what we're here for yeah adoring those animals well i go first today don't i meredith you sure do so i get to kick back and relax for a little bit ah well then uh hit me with the taxonomy cheer you ready oh am i ever okay taxona you taxona we taxona who taxona me kingdom and amelia plants are kind of boring Arthropoda, they're inside out, no bones within. Class. Arachnida, spiders, scorpions, ticks, and mites. Order. Scorpiones, pinch, pinch, sting, sting. Family. Scorpionidae, I'd appreciate more creativity. Genus. Pandinus, large African scorps. Species. Imperator, the emperor scorpion. It's big, it's docile, its venom is mild. Like a salsa. Do you think their their venoms come in like that three tiered rating, like mild, medium, hot? Yeah, I do actually think that that's how the venoms come. 
Or like the rebranding of that scale, but like in Taco Bell language, it's like fire sauce. And then like the one's like true heat or they have just different designations and they're so stupid. Well, I guess they might, you know, that was not in my research, but you are opening an exciting line of inquiry. (laughs) Good. Meredith, so the thing is, is that we're back in a subphylum where we were earlier with our horseshoe crab friends. We're in the Calicera. Okay. The Calicerata is the subphylum. And this is horseshoe crabs, spiders, mites, scorpions, and related organisms. Wait, what? This is the... Calicera. This is actually the subphylum. Phylum. Subphylum. Wow. Phylum arthropoda. I keep saying anthropod, but arthropod. Different. <laughs> arthropod. Phylum is arthropoda. Subphylum is Calicerata. Like, Calicerata okay. explains it all. It sure does, doesn't it? Yes. So we have horseshoe crabs, spiders, mites, scorpions, and related organisms. It just blows my mind to, like, categorize horseshoe crabs and spiders together. Well, the reason why is because they both have chelicerae. Oh! Or chelicera, chelicerae, which are mouth parts, your favorite thing to talk (gasps) about. Fucking mouth parts! So these are the jaws that can do a bunch of different things, but they're like kind of things like right in front of the mouth and they're like articulated. Some are similar to pincers. Some are like fangs. You know, they do a bunch of different things in the different gotcha. chelicerata. This is reminding me of another animal that I had recently done and it had, I'm not, I'm totally blanking, of course, on what it was because it was one that had like, um, oh, I think it was the um, house centipede. That also had these, like, little um, extra things that they used to, like, hold food and some used to, like, chew food. Weird shit. It's the subphylum where the cholesterata are. Oh, that's right. So the subphylum for centipedes and millipedes are myriapods. Got it. Now, you remember, Meredith, that the horseshoe crabs had their second set of appendages, which were pedipalps. Oh, it turns out that the other chelicerata also all have pedipalps and that the pedipalps are these specialized appendages that do different things for different creatures. So for the horseshoe crabs, they're locomotory organs for them to locomote. Locomotory. For spiders, they function as sensory organs. And for scorpions... They are the pincers. Whoa. So the pincers of the scorpion are called pedipalps. They are also pedipalps. Oh, my. Is this episode going to be called Pedipalps Part D? I mean, that all depends on what you bring to the table, Meredith. That's true. It's a high bar you've set. Yeah. I just thought that was so interesting. And I don't. I know. You want to know what happened, Meredith, is I was looking up crayfish anatomy because that's my life. And I found a picture of scorpion anatomy, and it pointed to the pincer, and it said pedipalp. And I was like, (gasps) no way. Shut up. (laughs) So that's what opened this line of inquiry for me to discover everything that I now know about scorps. I oh, And I meant to say that earlier. So was it, did you purposely abbreviate scorpion in the cheer? Or is it like, that's just a weird scientific name that pops up? For scorpions. I purposely abbreviated there because it was the genus. Gotcha. And I had already said like Scorpionace and Scorpionidae. Right. So I was like Scorps. And then I was going to say Scorpion and the species. So it was about pacing. I love Scorps. The Emperor Scorpion is an iconic scorpion species. The Emperor Scorpion is among the largest species of scorpions in the world. The adults average eight inches in length and they weigh up to about 30 grams. Which is a pretty good dose of coffee if you're making about a half liter, for the record. Yeah. I mean, look, these are the scorpions that you know. They're black. They're kind of... You know them. You love them. You know them. You love them. They're commonly kept as pets because they're fairly docile. Their venom is not that severe. It's a mild venom. It's not like a fire venom or a, you know, Flavortown venom. Yeah. So you've seen these scorpions. It's a familiar scorpion. If you Google it, you'd be like, oh, that's what I think of when I think of a scorpion. There are those 
petty palps I love. Wasn't that like an R. Kelly video where they were in the desert and they like drove over a scorpion or something? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Mike. Like a 90s R&B music video. I don't know if it was R. Kelly. It might have been somebody else, but they... I No, I think you're right. Or no, was it the California love video maybe? I'm not sure, but it was something about like kind of getting beat up in the desert and this car drives over a scorpion. That looks to be an emperor scorpion. All right. That could also be that. R. Kelly, um, he had this epic music video where, yeah, he does get beat up and left out in the desert. Yeah. I might be combining things, you know, from my childhood. But now we're going to zoom back and we're going to go back to the order, the Scorpiones. Pinch, pinch, sting, sting. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this episode. Scorpiones. So as we've said, we have the petty palps. And that's each of the second pair of appendages attached to the cephalothorax of most arachnids. The cephalothorax, so this combines words that we know already. We know cephalo from cephalopod. We know that that means head. Right. Head thorax. Yes, head thorax. So the cephalothorax comprises the carapace, eyes, chelicerae, which are the mouth parts, the pedipalps, which are their pincers. Yes. And then four pairs of walking legs. Past that, posterior to that, if you will, we have the mesosoma, which is the broad part of the opisothoma. Opisthoma? Opis... Mm. Opisthoma? Opisthosoma. Opisthosoma. Sometimes that's loosely called the abdomen. (laughs) And it has the anterior seven somites, which are segments. (laughs) And each is covered dorsally by a sclerotocid plate and its tergite on the ventral side. Somites three to seven are armored with matching plates called sternites. And then we have the metasoma, which is the scorpion's tail, which is kind of iconic. Sounds like you're listing like obscure tribes from the Bible. Somites, mesothomites. This next reading is from Jacob's third letter to the metasomites. (laughs) All to say, insect anatomy is still just like totally beyond, well, not insect anatomy. This is really like arachnid, but not even, this is scorpion anatomy. Uh, Yeah. Let's call a spade a spade, Mike. Arthropod anatomy in general is very difficult. I know. it's, It's foreign. They're inside out, no bones within. Like, what the fuck? So the metasoma, which is the tail, is, you know, iconic. The, the, the tail is misleading because unlike most so-called tails, it's not an appendage or a limb. Oh. But it's part of the opistosoma, I guess. <laughs> it has five segments, and the final segment bears the telson, which is generally a terminal segment in arthropods. And on the scorpion, that's where the stinger is. Right, okay. Okay, and so then in general, again, we're talking about scorpions in general. The venom is fast-acting. <laughs> like fast-actin' tenactin? Just like fast-actin' tenactin. And so it allows for effective prey capture. But as a general rule, scorpions will use their pedipalps to kill their prey with brute force if they can instead of using venom. Oh. So the venom is also really a defense against predators. Swoon. The venom is a mixture of different compounds like neurotoxins, enzyme inhibitors, etc. And each not only causes a different effect, but it possibly also targets a specific animal, which is an interesting evolutionary thing. So if hmm. a scorp is living in a region, a scorp species is living in a region where it's hunted by a particular species of animal, maybe it develops toxins against that specific animal. Right. And each compound is made and stored in a pair of glandular sacs and is released in a quantity regulated by the scorpion itself, which is kind of fun. And of the thousand known species, the more than 1,000 known species of scorpions, only 25 have venom that's deadly to humans. Oh, wow. And where do they live? You know, uh, it's another line of inquiry that we're opening. Would it be safe to say that in... New York City, we are um, not in danger of running into any of the 25 poisonous scorpions. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Okay. Native scorpions, that is. They may have been relocated against their will. Sure. Yes. In general, scorps are opportunistic predators of small arthropods, although larger species, like perhaps our friend, the emperor scorpion, 
have been known to kill small lizards and snakes. They have really sensitive tactile hairs on their pedipalps. And the moment an insect touches those, they will use their pedipalp pinchers to catch the prey. Pedipalps, reliable. They'll either just crush the prey or they'll use their stinger. But mostly they just kind of crush it. And then they have a really unusual style of eating. Like through their buttholes? No, no. What they do is they use their chelicerae, which are very sharp, to pull a small amount of food off the prey item for digestion into a pre-oral cavity that's below the chelicerae and the carapace. And they can only ingest food in liquid form. They have, like, external digestion. So they ingest digestive juices from the gut onto the food. Okay. And then that digests the food. And then they suck the food in in liquid form. And any solid indigestible matter, like an exoskeleton or fur, is trapped by the setae in the preoral cavity and ejected by the scorpion. Oh, my gosh. So they've, okay, they've got their own, like, portable milkshake maker. Sure. Like, attached to their bodies. Yeah, totally. And, like, um, an efficient waste removal system. It's really that their body is a temple and that they don't want to bring anything into it that they cannot easily digest. Right? Oh, my gosh. Words we should all live by. Mm. Mm -hmm. We're now on to your favorite topic, which is scorpion romance. Most scorpions reproduce sexually, and most species have male and female individuals. A few species have been reported to reproduce through parthenogenesis, which is when unfertilized eggs develop into living embryos, but the reports on this happening aren't necessarily reliable. Okay. So their objective is that they have to transfer a spermatophore from the male to the female. Yes, obviously. So they'll first locate each other using a mixture of pheromones and vibrational communication. And then they do a quick check. They're like, are you of the opposite sex and the correct species? And they're like, check, check. (laughs) He checks all my boxes. And then the mating commences. (laughs) So first, the male takes his pedipalps and he grasps onto the lady's pedipalps. (laughs) And they perform a dance. So they're holding hands. like. Well, they're holding... They're holding claws, but yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And then they perform a dance called the promenade à deux. (laughs) And the male will lead the female around searching for a suitable place to deposit his spermatophore. All while holding hands up in the air. Yeah, touching, like, clasping their pedipalps together. Yes. They may engage in a chelicerol kiss where (laughs) the male's chelicera grasps the female's. And remember, these are those little mouth appendages, you know? Oh, they're like kissing. Yeah, and so it's like a smaller, more intimate version of pedipalp on pedipalp is chelicera on chelicera. This isn't like, I don't know, like anthro porn hub. Yeah. <laughs> chelicera on chelicera. <laughs> palps on palps. Palps on palps. And then sometimes he'll inject a small amount of venom into her pedipalp or on the edge of her cephalothorax. Ooh, getting steamy. Once the guy's found the perfect spot, he'll deposit his spermatophore and then guide the female over it with his pincers. He'll just kind of pull her across the spermatophore. He's a true gentleman. Mm Mm-hmm, which allows it to enter her, her genital... Opercula, which is a stiff structure resembling a small door that opens and closes, and that triggers the release of the sperm, thus fertilizing the female. Wow. Right? (laughs) Take a sip of water. They seem to be universally viviparous, and they're born one by one, and then the brood is carried about on its mother's back until the young have undergone at least one molt. Oh, I've seen pictures of this. Like, it's big, like, brown mama scorp, and then all these tiny little, like, white almost larval-looking babies all piled on her back. Yeah, the scorplings. Scorplings! Cute! It's so cute. And they can't survive without their mother until after that first molt, and they also need her to protect them and help regulate their moisture level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
The litter size depends on the species and environmental factions can range from two scorplings to over 100 scorplings, but the average litter is about eight scorplings. Oh, wow. But it can go up to 100? Allegedly. I don't... Again, this is a general scorpion information sesh, but highlighting the emperor scorpion. So I did not find, in my initial very basic surface level research, I did not find information about how many scorplings are in a typical emperor scorpion litter. Fair enough. So the next thing I'm going to say, Meredith, is that scorpions are fluorescent and they glow a vibrant blue-green when exposed to certain wavelengths of ultraviolet light, such as what's produced by a black light. And this may have an active role in scorpion light detection. And that's kind of my fun little scorp fact that I'm leaving you with. Groovy. I just want to see them on, like, roller skates when they're all, like, glowy like that. It's very, like, Xanadu for scorpions. I mean, that's it. You put them under a fluorescent light, you put them on roller skates, and then you have them do the promenade du. Just clasping pedipalps and skating around. Promenade a Xanadu. But that's, like, my new favorite thing, that they, like, do a little, like, arms up in the air, like, holding hands, so excited, about to get it on. Yeah. Clamoring around, looking for the perfect spot. I know. It's adorable. It's so cute. Fun. They're fun. Yeah. Scorpions are fun. I agree with that. Scorps. I'm into them. Yeah. Scorps. I'm now really curious about this word that I keep mispronouncing, chalicera. Uh... Now, because I've seen that kind of funky mouth parts on like spiders and stuff, you know, like, like yeah. I'm curious about these mouth parts. And if the pedipalps are the second set of appendages, and so they're ant- they're posterior to the chalicera, but anterior to the first set of locomoting legs. So now I'm thinking of these chalicera as the first set of appendages, the pedipalps is the second set of appendages, and then the first set Uh of legs as the third set of appendages. It's just kind of blowing my mind. Yeah. Especially what's blowing my mind is like in these different examples you've listed, it's like sometimes the pedipalps are used for like grabbing and sometimes they're used for like sensory stuff. Like they seem to, and sometimes they're what? Like locomotory? Locomotory. Locomotory. Hi. It's just weird that they serve such like vastly different purposes depending on the animal you're talking about. Right, right. It kind of makes you think about like early in the evolution, these pedipalps existed and then they developed independently of each other to have these highly specialized functions. Yes. And that's like a sort of pedipalp chalicera moment. You know, I just think that's really interesting. It's like if your first pair of appendages is about getting food into your mouth, then what's your second pair of appendages about? Is it about getting around? Is it about, you know, crushing your prey and holding on to your partner for romantic scorp dances? (laughs) Is it a sensory organ so that you can feel vibrations on your web and go eat your delicious insect treat? It's just very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It is very interesting. Well, that was great. I learned a lot, and I had a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, that's my goal. Achieved. Break time. Hey, Phoebe. Cute shoes, Desi. Where'd you get them? Well, thanks, Phoebs. I got these specialty hoof boots by famous designer Walter Warthog from the brand Clubby Web Portal. OMG, Desi. I love brand Clubby. Myself also, Phoebe. How did you pay for your purchase? Did you use your Camel Community Credit Club card? I didn't, Phoebs. I used a brand Clubby gift card. Brand Clubby has a gift card? I know! I had no idea either. But then I got a happy rutting season card in the mail from my cousin, Lucas Lama. Oh, Lucas, how's he doing? He's pretty good, you know, just the usual chilling in the end days. That's fun. I hope we get to visit sometime. Me too. Maybe once this travel ban is lifted. It's pretty cool there. Well, surely cooler than here. <laughs> totally. Classic Phoebes. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Thanks, Desi. Killer setup. Well, anyways, the Brand Clubby gift card is available in any denomination, and you can reload it at any time on the Brand Clubby web portal. And can I use it for any Brand Clubby product? 
like Raptor Specs. Blowhole extenders. Cephalopods Micro Hotel. Crow's Wing Eye Cream. Sedge Bars. Uh, yeah, and even Brand Clubby Oinkment. I know they advertise that as only for itchy pigs, but it works on all itchy undulates. I had a hunch or two that that was the case. <laughs> Classic Desi. Hoofs up. Hoofs up. Let's go buy some brand clubby gift cards. Camel running season is different in different places, so there's always a gift to be given. It's a great gift for any animal, great or small. Stuffed animal memories are the best kind of memories. Teddy bears, cows, and pal puppies. Would you tell us, please? Well, we find us back in the fanciful world of stuffed animal memories. Oh, I love it here. I do, too. This is one of my favorites. They're all my favorites, really, but... I don't mind having to think back on my favorite thing in the world, stuffed animals. Um, so <laughs> I guess what the one I was thinking about, I don't know what made it. Oh, I know what made this pop into my head. But my aunt always used to give me different, um, like particularly cat themed stuffed animals. For a long time, I was like really into just like white cats, mm-hmm. stuffed animals. There's like a picture of me with like my whole collection of them. Anyhow, when I went to college, or maybe a little bit before, my aunt had given me a stuffed cat, and it was like one of those stuffed animals that I felt one of two ways about stuffed animals that came with name suggestions. Oh, like the gift giver suggests the name or a tag suggesting the name? Like a tag that comes with the animal. Sure, yeah. Like the Beanie Baby thing. Okay, right. Because Beanie Babies always came with their own names. But anyway, so this cat... It was like this chunky little cat, like a real chunk. It was like all body and then just had like tiny little arms and legs. And this cat, and it had like a very puffed up, like chunky little face. And this cat's name was Prudence. And I brought it with me to college because I was like, it's compact. It's cute. It's goofy. It's like a memento from my aunt. And my friends gave me so much shit about Prudence And they would, like, put her on the elevator and, like, send her down by herself. That's not nice. I know. They'd be like, yeah, they would always, like, steal her. And then I'd be like, where's where's Prudence? They'd be like, go check the second floor. You'd have to, they'd hide your stuffed animal around the dorms in public spaces? Yeah. They'd, like, send it down the elevator. Uh, Kids are mean. Right? But, I I mean, they're, like, great friends of mine now. Right, yeah. You know, freshman freshman dorm antics. Well, that's nice. <laughs> it's something. But Prudence is cute. Prudence sounds really great. Where's Prudence now? I think she's on a bookshelf in um, Dalmatian Station, Ohio Valley Outpost. Okay, sure. Well, Meredith, I guess my stuffed animal memory is a newly crafted memory. And I'm not <gasps> sure if it's a good memory or a bad memory. It's definitely opened a line of inquiry that I wanted to share with you. Okay. But I do feel like I need to put some sort of like, I don't know, trigger warning ahead of this. Oh, gosh. But I was watching this television program that is on Netflix. It is called Alone. It is a competition reality television program where these people are isolated in the wilderness with 10 of a pre-approved list of 40 available survival items. And they have to survive for however long. It could last up to a year. Yep. And season six, they're above the Arctic Circle in northern Canada. Mm -hmm. And one of the contestants... You know, they're surviving on their own, so they're trapping game, which means that they're catching little rodents and right, lagomorphs right. and whatever and consuming them. Mm-hmm. And this woman catches a rabbit. She catches several rabbits. Yep. And she uses all the parts of the rabbit to make various things. You know, they showed how you can use the skin and kind of if you cut it right, You can make a rope out of it, which I had never thought of before, which I thought was really interesting. Totally. One of the women was feeling very needing of companionship and affection, perhaps. Uh Uh-huh. 
And so she took the pelt of one of her rabbits and she stuffed it with straw and she turned it into a stuffed animal. Wow. Oh. Right. And it was a lot. And so it just opened up a lot of lines of, um, I don't know, inquiry or thought, experience, possibilities. You know, just thinking about like, well, I mean, this is, you know, before you could just make a bunch of plastic fur, you probably just used real fur to make your teddy bear. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Totally. And so it got me thinking a lot about how, you know, in our current age, we're so separated from animals, I guess. Like, we are kept in our own isolated pens, you know. So it was just a lot of... Oh, totally. A lot of uh, thoughts that I had relating to stuffed animals. And like I said, it's a new memory. I, I think it's a good memory. I think that the lines of inquiry are fun. But it's a little... Like I said, it's just a, I felt the need to kind of be like, hey... I'm about to talk about the literal stuffing of an animal, like a right, you know, or at least the the flesh of an animal, the skin. Was it the same woman that did that as made the like rope out of the rabbit hide? I believe that those were two different women. Oh, okay. But I don't recall specifically. Got I'm it. pretty sure that those were two different individuals, though, that did. The different things because they were having success trapping right which is a big deal on that show yeah oh yeah it just says something about our need to have like a place even if it's just like a symbolic place but a, a something to focus our attention on right and kind of like dote over a little bit dote on right well they were saying that uh, contestants could elect to bring a photograph of whatever in addition to their survival items. That was like the bonus thing. Oh, really? And one of the contestants sent, spent so much time staring at the photograph that he missed his family so much that he went home. <gasps> so I thought that it was very interesting. I, I can't speak to this this particular woman's background, but, you know, it's interesting the, like, I don't know, the psychology of it and, like, the focusing of, like, connections and everything. Like, I just thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Mike. You're welcome. That's, you know, a newly minted memory is still a memory. That's what I always say. A newly minted memory is still just a memory. Stuffed animal memories are the best kind of memories. Teddy bears, cows, and cow puppies. Would you tell us, please? Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who? Texana, me. Kingdom. And Amelia, this should come as no surprise. Phylum. Cordata. Our spines are on the inside. Class. Mammalia. Warm, fresh boob milk. Order. Rodentia. Their teeth are always growing. Family. Scurry day. It's the squirrel family. Genus. Marmata. We make them carry the briefcases. Species. Marmata. Monax. They fear the reaper and their own shadow. It's the groundhog or woodchuck or whistle pig or the thickwood badger or the siflor. Well, anyway, you say it, it's a briefcase carrier to me. That's all I see. Yeah. Is a moving briefcase. But anyway, it's the groundhog. But it turns out the groundhog has a lot of other names. And turns out that groundhogs are marmots. And it's crazy that marmots are squirrels. Did you follow that? No. <laughs> okay. So... Groundhogs are marmots. We've been kind of, or I shouldn't say we, but I've been really into the idea of marmots lately. I feel like they've been like a friend of the pod, but we haven't spent enough time talking about what marmots actually are. So groundhogs are marmots and marmots are squirrels and squirrels are all rodents. Okay. So we go order, rodents, family, squirrels, genus, marmots, species, groundhog. I love that. Just running it down. Okay. So we've got a lot of names as I listened, as I listed. Um, but so it looks like the two that pretty much stuck. We've got like the, the Monac. So we've got the species Marmota Monax. So the Monac is actually an Algonquin word for digger. And then Wuchak 
is another word, another Algonquin word for this creature, and that's where woodchuck comes from. They have nothing to do with wood or chucking. Oh, interesting. So how much wood could a woodchuck chuck is kind of a... Just silly. Huh. It's just silly. Um, okay. So I wanted to like spend some time talking about marmots generally at the genus level, and then some of this will be groundhog specific. Just a warning. So some other notable marmots of marmot history are the uh, yellow-bellied marmot, <laughs> and then also the hoary marmot. Oh, got a hoary marmot. The hoary marmot. <laughs> She lives out west, so you don't have to worry about her. Okay. Marmots are actually the heaviest of the squirrel family. So remember the family of Day. It's the squirrel family. And then marmots are like the biggest squirrels, essentially. Squirrels are Day Because they scurry? Scurry day. No, I think it's more like squirrel. It's like, it's S-C-I-U-R. So scurry day. But it is funny because I had that thought. I was like, scurry? They do scurry. But I feel like groundhogs and marmots more generally because they're all big and lumbering, they don't scurry so much as like fast waddle. Sure. Adult groundhogs weigh between 4.4 and 13.9 pounds. And you might be like, what? That's a big range of weight. Four pounds up to like close to 14 pounds. Uh huh. There's a reason for that. And that reason is hibernation, but I'm not going to talk about that right away. Okay. We're going to we're gonna crescendo up to hibernation. Oh, I love a crescendo. Yeah, because that's where it just gets really interesting in the in, down in the burrow, in the wintering burrow. Sure. Okay, so let's talk marmot bodies. <laughs> so they could be describing me here. Short but robust legs, claws for digging, me to a T. But they also have large heads and incisors. So... Remember rodentia, how being a rodent means that your teeth are always growing? Yes. So you have to, like, do something to file them down. Right. So groundhog teeth grow a sixteenth of an inch per week. That's, like, a lot. A sixteenth of an inch per week. So that's, like, four inches per year, almost. Yeah, four inches is long when it's coming to teeth. Yeah, that's that's a lot of tooth growth. Yeah. So they got to keep them whittled down because that's just too much. Interesting. It's like not that big of a head. So anyway. I wonder how they measure that. I don't know. Seems like there's a lot of weird like intense research on groundhogs, but we'll get to that later as well. Cool. I know. It's so strange. So these guys like to hang out in like pastures and low elevation forests, fields. And as a result, they can be kind of a pain in the butt to humans. And this is where we get into, like, anecdote territory, personal family, Jurgen's anecdotes. Sure. Um, like, I remember it being such a big deal at this point where the groundhogs had, like, had such a complex burrow system under our backyard. It, like, killed all the grass in the backyard. And it, were, it just looked like someone had come through with, like, a rototiller and just churned up our lawn. The lawn was, like, churned up by these... Oh groundhogs so everything had to be like reseeded and regrassed it was nuts yeah my dad would try to trap them sometimes we'd mostly end up with like raccoons but the groundhogs are nasty they're very aggressive they're very very aggressive and they use their teeth and then those like long sharp claws so dealing with them as humans is tough and then also one time my brother was chasing one around the yard and then all of a sudden it like reversed course and started chasing my brother rich groundhog life in the suburbs of Cincinnati, let me tell you. Yeah, there were not that many groundhogs in the suburbs of Cleveland that I had one-on-one or, you know, I guess two-on-one interactions with. And I'm kind of having a vague memory. This might have been another cat, but I also remember, like, our cat Pumpkin, who was so fat, she looked kind of like a groundhog. But I remember her, like, chasing a groundhog once around the yard. I love Pumpkin. What was the naming of Pumpkin situation? I remember that being silly. Oh, well, we had this cat, Bozo, who died within, within like, three weeks of fila leukemia. Right. So they had to go right. back to the vet <laughs> and pick out a new kitty. And we got this gray cat. And they were like, what do you want to name her? And Christopher, my brother, was like, Pumpkin. She's a gray cat named Pumpkin. Yeah. Feline leukemia is severe. It's severe. It really is. But actually, there's kind of a version of this 
coming up later in my presentation. Oh my God. So we've got three things to look forward to. I'm, yeah. We've got hibernation. One. We've got, I forgot the other one. I did too. We've got a mystery item. We've got a mystery item and we've got the the woodchuck equivalent to feline leukemia. Wow. There's a lot in store. I guess that would, would that be woodchuck leukemia, marmot leukemia maybe? Not quite. Not quite. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Don't forget that we will get there. These animals, these woodchucks, these groundhogs, these marmots, they're enjoyed by dogs, coyotes. I've written down badges. <laughs> Just like a bitchy badger. What a badge. Bobcats, eagles, owls. They like to snack on woodchucks. But like I said, these woodchucks are aggressive. Okay, they are not afraid to fuck you up with their teeth and their claws. Yeah. And they're always on the lookout when they're eating or whatever. They're very, like, skittish. And so there's always one kind of on the lookout. And if he sees something, he does this crazy, like, he's, like, up, like, on his hind legs. And he just, like, opens his mouth and it's just this, like, squeal sound, which is why they're called, like, whistle pigs. Whistle pigs. But there's a lot of videos on YouTube of them doing it and probably even more enjoyable than just listening to the whistle of the woodchuck are the overdubs. So there was one, it was like, ah! <laughs> this singing woodchuck when he opened his mouth to squeal, just look it up. It's very funny. Okay. And another one where it's just like, he opens his mouth, but it's like a human scream. Was this the mystery thing that you were going to talk about? Maybe not. Probably not <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So they, they like to shriek and they themselves enjoy wild grasses and berries and insects. Just grazers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They eat a lot. They eat a lot. Even sometimes like baby birds. Chill out. Yeah. So we're ramping up. We're ramping up to hibernation. Don't you forget. I haven't. Keep in mind, these guys are also expert burrow builders. And so these burrow mansions can have up to five entrances. They've got separate excrement chambers. Oh. They've got nest chambers and spy holes. So... I mean, luxury living here with the groundhogs. They've invented sanitation. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, they poop in a special poop spot. They got a poop spot. Yeah, they've invented sanitation and they've invented espionage with their little spy holes. Right? Room-based living. Uh Uh-huh. There's different rooms. Yeah. Antechambers. Galleries. They literally talked about that in the description of these burrows, like, and two separate side galleries. <laughs> like, damn, I want to see this floor plan. Yeah, there's a drawing room. How many s- square feet is it? Okay, so this is where it gets weird, and I just realized I forgot to look up something very key. We've made it to hibernation, and the fact that groundhogs are what is considered true hibernators. And then this Wikipedia article was throwing some shade because they were saying bears aren't true hibernators. And that's what I forgot to investigate further. Well, let's explore the true hibernator qualifications of the marmot in question before we address the untrue nature of our ursine friends. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they actually build a separate burrow. So like in addition to their McMansion burrow, they also have their like wintering burrow. And this has to be below the frost line. It has to be able to maintain a temperature above freezing throughout the winter. Okay. So it's a deep burrow. So they build that. Yeah, it's a deep burrow. And then they hibernate essentially like October through March or April. So they enter the hibernation very fat. Like they just like overeat on purpose. They go for like a huge binge. Sounds like bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But they, their body temperature actually drops to as low as 35 degrees Fahrenheit. Whoa. Their heart rate drops to 4 to 10 beats per minute. Like, I thought I was doing good getting mine down to, like, 52. 4 to 10 beats per minute. And then one breath per six minutes. So they go, like, out. They go into, like, sleep mode on your computer. Interesting. This is a form of true hibernation. Yeah. But I didn't actually look up what the qualifications are for being true hibernation versus whatever sham hibernation it seems to be the bears are doing. So I just Googled 
true hibernation versus untrue hibernation. False hibernation. Google thinks that the answer for me is that there are different kinds of hibernations. The true hibernators sleep so deeply that they are almost impossible to wake up. Woodchucks, ground squirrels, and bats are true hibernators. A woodchuck's heart rate goes from 80 beats per minute to... 4 to 10? To 4 or 5 beats a minute when in hibernation. So yes, 4 to 10. I believe 4 to 10 more than 4 or 5 beats per minute. Yeah, right. I don't feel like the woodchucks are like, it hasn't been 12 seconds. I cannot yet let my heart beat. Right. You know, 38 degrees Fahrenheit. 35. 35. Interesting. Okay. And then the woodchucks incisors, which grow continuously and are kept short by gnawing, quit growing during hibernation. Truer hibernation has never been had. Yeah. For your crazy long growing teeth to just stop. That's insane. True hibernators do get up every few weeks to nibble on food. And in the case of the woodchuck, they use their underground toilet room. (laughs) The excrement station. And then it says, bears are not true hibernators. They are one of the light sleepers. They're easily awakened from their winter slumbers. Burn! And they're simply taking long winter naps. Like skunks, raccoons, opossums are also in that group. They breathe a little more slowly and lower their body temperature a few degrees while sleeping, but they wake up to forage between winter snows. Shots fired. Lines drawn. (sighs) Wow, I guess we've settled that. Wow. That is a battle royale. All right. Okay. Now we know. Now we know. So, after hibernation is when everything gets a little bit naughty. Everyone's, like, looking trim. They've got their spring post-hibernation bods. They've been living on their fat stores all summer or all winter. (laughs) And so, that's when they get it on. So breeding season is right after hibernation. And so the pair remains together in the den through the month-long gestation period. Um, And then after that, like right before the babies are born, the the men like peace out. But, you know, whatever. The women do that a lot too in the animal world. But the babies don't debut from the burrow until they can see because they're blind. (laughs) They're blind born. They're also bald born. (laughs) You sound like... uh... Queen Cersei, like speaking ill of some northerners or some shit like that. I'll take that. That sounds badass. So the babies, they don't come out until they're furry and can see. So now here is the other part I promised is that these creatures, these woodchucks, these wood hogs, these ground chucks, they are used in hepatitis B liver induced cancer research. Whoa. Because a large population of the woodchuck population is infected with WHV, woodchuck hepatitis virus, which I was saying was like the equivalent of feline leukemia. Oh my God. All these woodchucks have hepatitis? They've got WHV. Oh. Yeah. Sad, right? Yeah. That's a pretty serious disease. Yeah. And they just have it for some reason. So they um, are actually used a lot in research for um, human cases of hep B. Wow. What can't they do? They can't hail a cab. But they can truly hibernate. They can truly hibernate, which is not such a shabby thing to be able to do. Because they actually study their um, hibernation, what goes on during hibernation as a means of like learning about how we might be able to do decrease human heart rates during surgery or things like that. Meredith, I'm going to take a position here. Okay. 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 So the woodchuck, it builds this palatial home complete with a designated poop zone. Mm -hmm. It truly hibernates. It just kind of sleeps all winter, except every few weeks it gets up to nibble on food or use its underground toilet. It's en suite. In the cold weather, they're not going to go poop outside. Like, what do you think they're doing? After they mate, they just kind of lay together for a month. Uh-huh. But then, like, the dude pieces out before the babies show up. Yeah. But they have that month together. You know, it's it's pretty sweet. And then the babies just kind of, like, hang out in this palatial custom home mm-hmm. until they can see. And they've grown their fur. Yeah, they have their fur, and then they just kind of, like, keep grooving. I mean, woodchucks sound pretty cool. 
They do, right? I'm just going to go ahead and say. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I'm pretty impressed by them. Yeah. And I totally trust them to carry the briefcases for sure. Me too. Me too. They're loyal. They're steadfast. They're aggressive. They're not going to let anybody come near that briefcase. Right. Right. Those briefcases are in good hands. Well, here's to the woodchuck, I guess, right? Raise one up for the woodchuck chuck. Yeah. All right. Break time. (laughs) Oh, boy. Hi, I'm Marla. And hi, I'm Marlene. And And together, together we are the Marmot Mavens. I love their stubby tails. And I love their buck teeth. And we both love nothing more than Happy Marmots. Which is why Marla and I have established the nation's first and only motor lodge for marmots. The The Marmot Arms. Here at the Marmot Arms, our distinguished guests are treated to the finest underground lodgings, with each and every room equipped with nest and excrement chambers. And don't forget the continental breakfast served every morning from 6.30 to 10 a.m. Every marmot really loves a build-your-own-omelet station. And if it's an extended stay you're looking for, be sure to check out our vacation into hibernation packages, which include unlimited trips to our world-famous Bucktooth Buffet. So you can be certain you'll pop all the buttons on your marmot pants before you head down under for the winter. And Marla, make sure you tell them about our love nest specials, like how new marmot mates get 15% off their first night's stay. (laughs) Marlene, I think you just did. Feedback remix. <laughs> Nicole from Los Angeles asks, "Where do zebras shop for new hoof bags?" Fjordstrom. <laughs> Dumbest. No, fjords are like waterways. Fjords are waterways. That's not really good. Zebras have nothing to do with fjords. No, I think that wherever they shop. They go to the Braverly Hills location. Whoa. So definitely not to Norway. Definitely not to Norway. Okay. Okay. And Okay. So it's probably like a boutique of some sort, right? I mean, do you think that they like... Are they like TJ Maxx and Eastas? I feel like it's Michael Kors, but it's TJ Maxx, Michael Kors. Gotcha. Yes. I feel that way too. Because they're sensible, but they, you know, they've got like a little... A little eye for fashion yeah like a t- yeah like a tj maxx a marshall's um a home goods a dress barn maybe yeah burlington coat factory yeah definitely we're more than great coats yeah also fierce hoof bags for zebras right at a decent price but we do agree that they go to Braverly Hills, right? Yes. The Braverly Hills TJ Maxx. Yeah, the Braverly Hills TJ Maxx. A fish position. It's in like a fish position. It's in like the Braverly Hills station. It's like the name of the strip mall. Oh yeah. The Brave The Braverly Hills station location. Avi. A fish position. Ding ding ding. Hoof clap, hoof clap, hoof clap. Hoof's up. Hoof's up. Lyle from the Everglades wants to know. All this talk about crocodile tears makes me wonder. What makes them so sad? Oh. Wow. What the? Why are they so sad? Do you think it's like sometimes that they just get a little overwhelmed with being, you know, at the top of the food chain and 
you know, like a, a living fossil. It's just like sometimes the pressure is too much. I, yeah, I think that maybe they weep. I think it's just from a general state of ennui. Oh, they're just like, they're bored. They know their lot in life, but they're just like, <gasps> yeah, they've just seen it before. Yeah. They're like, so many times. They're like, great. These stupid apes are still fighting. Right. Ugh. I'm just out here trying to eat a wildebeest, you know? Right? I know. Oh, sweet crocodiles. We honor you, and we salute you, and we adore you. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to look at yourself in the mirror every day and just be like, I'm enough. Enough? That can help break that sort of melancholy thing that y'all have been feeling for, you know, probably about 50 million years or so. It's a tough road to hoe. Yeah. Um, so Lyle, we're with you. We support you, and um, we support crocodile tears. Yeah, it's healthy to express emotions. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. Crocodile tears. We understand does mean ungenuine tears. <laughs> End of disclaimer. <laughs> Are you saying that so we don't get like angry emails? Yeah, like you're an idiot. Like why crocodile tears are like ungenuine tears? Yeah. Well, okay. But we're living in a fun like alternate creature world so which people should know and they should understand but maybe they don't which is why i included that disclaimer no i appreciate it end of disclaimer rant (laughs) that's the official position okay ding 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 esteban from peoria gives us a mate pair feed upon savannah edition Oh, this is great. It's really fun. We haven't had a mate pair feed upon in a moment. and I know. This is just fun. I love savannah animals. Savannah animals. I already know that you love the warthog, which is our first contestant. Oh, I sure do. Contestant number two is the elephant. Oh, pachyderms. Yes, please. And then contestant number three is the secretary bird. I think I would eat that secretary bird. Whoa. Because I bet she's got some, like, nice meat on those haunches. Mm. And then I'd probably mate with the warthog because it'd be, like, you know, to a metal soundtrack and, like, I don't know. It's kind of, like, fast and loose. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm into that. The hair. The hoof. Yeah. The hoof. Yeah, I, I mean, like, the hoofs, the hair, the chutzpah. The triple H's. With a letter C for spice. And then, I guess, partner with that elephant. Because you know they're loyal, they're genuine, they've got a great memory. I'm there for that. I'm in for the long haul with, like, a, a noble, thoughtful elephant. I would mate with the secretary bird because mm. it's kind of funny and, like, I mean, look. Yes. That kind of poofy like feathery hair thing that there's just so much motion in that I feel like that would be very exciting yes and also I don't know there's just something about the like kind of like oh yeah I hooked up with my secretary like you know (laughs) there's something fun about that I'm having an affair with my secretary I don't know now I'm torn it's really I was going to say pair with the warthog (laughs) But now you have me thinking about the kind of, like, groovy lifestyle of the elephants. Like, warthogs are kind of just running around like idiots most of the time, you know. No, how dare you. With all due respect, like, fun, really fun people. And they just want to drink Bud Lights in a garage. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to pair with the elephant and feed upon the warthog, which is a shocker. And I feel like we've kind of switched roles here. You know, normally you would not feed upon a bird, and I certainly would. In this case, I mean, between elephants and warthogs, that's, like, tough, man. And I know neither, I don't want to, like, eat either of those animals. I bet a warthog wouldn't be, like, bad tasting. I love pork. Let's say it right here, right now, and loud. Mike loves pork, and he is proud. My name is Mike Luno, and I endorse this message. (laughs) Oh, that was beef. Damn it! I was like, pork, the other white meat. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. And I was like, beef, it's what's for dinner. That's right. Remember that commercial? Of course. Okay, good. Of course. But not with enough clarity to tell you whether it's for beef or pork. Oh, it's definitely beef. It's definitely beef. 
Okay, so well, the official position is that the house is divided. We are both pairing with the Ellie font. Yes. I am mating with the Secretary of Bird and feeding upon the Warthog, and Meredith is mating with the Warthog and feeding upon the Secretary of Bird. Yes. That is our official position. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> well, what a silly episode this has been. Oh, we had two weeks of this stored up, Meredith. That's what it I was. I know, I know, and you got it all at once. I know, so... Mazel tov on this concentrated experience. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Good night. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.